G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you at uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 19, that Jeff, the other Jeff just read for us. Can I encourage you to have it open today? Not everyone was convinced by what I think is the flow of logic in this passage in Bible study this week. Have your Bible open, check it out, make sure that what I'm saying is in fact what the Bible says and how it fits together, because I think it's actually a very, very important passage with a very, very important idea in it. Let's ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, do please help us now to understand your word that we might help each other to stay the course and stick with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. The other day I was talking to a girl that I used to know ages ago in the first church that I went to when I first became a Christian. Uh, I ran into her recently. We had a chat. Um, she and I used to work together in a youth group. She's a strong Christian back then, but she told me when we met that she hasn't been to church in ages. Uh, The issue, she said, is that she married a non-Christian guy. Before they got married, he told her that he would be supportive of her as a Christian. And he never really opposed her. He's a nice guy, but he never really supported her either, as you'd expect. They had kids, three boys. became more and more difficult for her to get to church week by week. She became less regular. Uh, Her boys grew up and they followed in their dad's footsteps, not interested in church, not interested in Christianity. That made it even harder for her to have to kind of leave behind her husband and her sons in, in bed while she went off to church by herself on a Sunday. And now she said she hasn't been to church in ages. Got talking to her and uh, in, in the course of the conversation she said to me, um, she said, the idea that my boys would go to, go to hell is deeply offensive and deeply upsetting to me. And so she said, I'm having doubts about the whole idea of Jesus being the only way to heaven. I said to her, what happened all those years ago when you started going out with your non-Christian boyfriend as he was then? Didn't people warn you that all this might happen? She said, nobody said anything to me. Nobody said a word. And then, interestingly, she said, I guess I wish now that they had. Wish now that they'd said something. A while ago, I ran into another man also from a previous church, actually from the second church that I went to. We also had a chat, and he also told me that he hasn't been to church in ages. He was married, had a couple of kids, but he had an affair. I very quickly realised how stupid he was being. He confessed to his wife, confessed to the church. His wife tried to forgive him. They went to counselling together. But after a while, she said to him, I can't do it. What you've done is just too bad. I can never trust you again. I can't forgive you. You've got to leave. Uh, the church then said to him, sorry, mate, you, you can't stay at church here anymore either. Uh, they said, your wife feels uncomfortable with you being here. What's happened is all your fault. Uh, so we're going to support her and not you. So sorry, you need to leave. You need to find another church. Uh, long story short, he didn't. He didn't find another church. He told me he's come to the view that Christians are self-righteous hypocrites and he has no interest in being a Christian anymore. Unfortunately, neither of these stories is unique, is it? These sorts of things happen way too often. You probably could tell me similar stories, stories of people that you know, people who've fallen away, who've given up on Jesus...
Well, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching them about this, this idea of falling away, of giving up on him. He uses a word, a really interesting word, a word about being ensnared and trapped, kind of tripping over. He talks about things that ensnare people so that they stop following him. So like the people I've just talked about, they fall away. And the thing Jesus says is this. He says, it's going to happen. It's just, that's just life in this world. People will fall away. But then Jesus says this. He says, says, what you definitely do not want, though, is this. You don't want to be the cause of anyone falling away. You don't want to be someone who just stands by and lets it happen, and you don't want to be the one who, who, who makes it happen either. He says, uses a vivid image of a millstone, which is a big stone that they use for, for um, crushing grain. He says, better to have a millstone put around your neck and chucked in the oak, better to be dead than to lead someone to fall away from Jesus. Luke chapter 17, verse 1, have a look with me. Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble, to be ensnared, to be entrapped, to fall away from him, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It will be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones, his disciples, one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus then goes on to warn his disciples. He warns them, he warns them about two ways that they could cause people to stumble. First way, first way is by doing nothing, by just standing back when you see people drifting away, when you see people sinning and letting them fall away. And there's a little bit of a translation issue here. The NLV 2011, if you've got that, talks about in verse 3, someone sinning against you. Makes sense. There are some of the early documents that say it. And Jesus does go on to talk about people sinning against you and having to forgive them and so on. But in verse 3, most commentators and most translations, including the NIV 84, if you happen to have the NIV 84 in front of you, they agree that the words against you shouldn't be there in verse 3. So verse 3 would read, if your brother or sister sins, rebuke them. You see the slight difference, the slight distinction? Uh, it's not just if they sin against you. If you see them sinning as individuals and as a church, you need to speak up. And then he goes on to talk about... Um, goes on to talk about what happens if they're sinning against you and they repent and, and he says you've got to forgive them so here are two ways you can cause people to stumble just let them drift off into sin and say nothing don't rebuke or if they do sin and they repent then refusing to forgive them both those things could be a way that you cause someone to stumble so he says you've got to rebuke and you've got to forgive verse 3 so can you see the so there he's talked about don't don't be the cause of people stumbling. So, verse 3, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. That's a big ask, don't you reckon? Seven times in a day. I don't think I've ever had that happen to me. I mean, gee, I'm only awake for, what, 16 or 17 hours, seven times in a day. That's every couple of hours they're coming back the same, with the same sin. Sorry, please forgive me. Two hours later. 
I would be seriously starting to doubt the sincerity of their repentance by the seventh time, wouldn't you? The apostles hear Jesus and they feel a bit the same way. They think, whoa, seven times a day, that would take some serious faith, way more faith than we have. You'd better give us more, Jesus. Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. First thing Jesus says, he says, it's not about the amount of faith that you have. It's about the God that you believe in. We believe in the God who has made the entire universe. And so even the tiniest amount of faith in this God can do anything because God can do anything. And with an all-powerful God, anything is possible. He can help you to forgive. Verse 6, Jesus replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. God can work in us to be able to forgive, to be able to rebuke, But Jesus now goes on to talk about two things that you do need. Two things that you need if you're going to be able to rebuke. Two things that you need if you're going to be able to forgive so that you don't cause people to fall away. You're seeing the flow of logic? You don't want to cause people to fall away, so you need to be able to rebuke, you need to be able to forgive. And here are two things you need to be able to do that well, to be able to rebuke and forgive well. Here's the first thing you need to realise. You need to realise that God owes you nothing. Even if you were to do Everything that God asks, all the time, in every situation, that would only be what you're supposed to do. That would only be what God deserves. But you and I are just not in that league, are we? We are nowhere near being servants of God who always obey him and always do everything that we're supposed to do. What we are is unworthy sinners who need the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us so that we can be forgiven. There's the first thing that we need. If we're going to rebuke, if we're going to forgive, we need to realise that we are sinners saved by the grace of Jesus, no better than anybody else, no more worthy than anybody else of God's love. Verse 7, here's the story. Suppose one of you, verse 7, has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? (laughs) Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink, after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. It's another message to the older brother, isn't it? Remember the older brother from Luke 15 a couple of weeks ago who thinks he's better than everyone else, thinks he's, God owes him something? God owes us nothing. That's the first thing we need. If we're going to rebuke, if we're going to forgive, if we're going to help people not fall away, we need to realise that we're entirely unworthy of God's love to us. And then Luke goes, now, now, goes on now to tell a second story. And this story reveals a second thing that we need if we're going to be able to rebuke, if we're going to be able to forgive, if we're going to be able to help people not fall away. Here's the second thing. We need gratitude. We need to realise that Jesus has graciously cleansed us from our sin and enabled us to be in God's presence and we ought to be thankful. Jesus goes on to tell the story about uh, ten lepers who were healed, uh, cleansed by Jesus so that they can be accepted among God's people, accepted into the temple again. Ten lepers who were healed 
Only one of them says thanks. And he's a Samaritan. Whereas the other nine, we assume Jewish, this extraordinary, ugly, horrible ingratitude. Verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Because, of course, you can't come near. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I know you've read it a hundred times. I know I've read it a hundred times, but that's amazing, isn't it? He's so extraordinary, Jesus, isn't he? I mean, he walks into a hospital and everybody stands up and walks out. Ten lepers cleansed. But, of course, there's more than just healing here, isn't it? These lepers are unclean. They can't be in the presence of God. And now through Jesus, they're clean. But have a look at how they respond. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has literally saved you. All right. You see what's here in this part of Luke's Gospel? I wonder if you buy the logic, the logical flow. They didn't believe me in Bible study, but uh, I wonder if you do. Do you see the flow of it? So it starts off with, people are going to fall away. That's just life. But you don't want to be the one who makes them fall away. Okay? So what do you have to do then? You need to rebuke and you need to forgive. How are you going to be able to rebuke and forgive? You've got to realise that you are no more worthy than anybody else of being in God's kingdom. You ought to be thankful for the grace of God. With thanks and humility... We should be able to rebuke and forgive so we can help each other not fall away. You see the flow? All right, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves then. I reckon this passage applies very directly to us. Uh, People today still fall away. People today still give up on Jesus. Things that cause people to stumble still come. And that is the worst tragedy in the universe. Now, last night I was at a... Sorry if you're following the script. I've completely lost track of the script here, haven't I? Um, last night I went to a party and someone said to me, oh, why did you give up being a lawyer to become a minister? And I said, people are going to hell. Sorry to all the lawyers here. If you're a lawyer, good on you. We need Christian lawyers. Well done. I know with places stacked with lawyers, good on you. Um, we need Christian lawyers. But if that's real... We say we believe it. If that is real, people are going to hell. Then there is no worse tragedy in the world than people falling away from Jesus. And no more terrible thing that we could do but to cause people to fall away. So friends, today, we need to grasp the gospel and be humble and thankful and we need to be rebukers and we need to be forgivers. 
Yeah, this is really important, but it's not easy. It is not easy. In my time here at Chatswood, dozens and dozens and dozens of people have fallen away. And I'm not convinced that we've always done a good job. I'm not convinced we've always done a good job in rebuking people, and I'm not convinced we've always done a good job in forgiving and being reconciled with people. Let's think about each one for a few minutes. Let's think about rebuking. I reckon it's easy to go one of two ways with rebuking, and they're both a function of forgetting the gospel. On the one hand, it's easy to stay silent, to let people just drift off in sin and say nothing. I can think of dozens of examples of this at our church. Uh, we see people who are, get so caught up in their job, in that promotion or in that next thing that they need to do, they get so caught up in work that they drift away from church, you don't see them for months, and we say nothing. They never hear a word from us. Or you see people get so caught up in family, maybe they have a new baby or something like that, it gets, it gets busy, it gets difficult. If you've got a new baby, come to church, let them scream as loud as you want, we just want you here. Okay, but we see people that get caught up with family, they drift away, they lose the habit, and they're gone. We see people making unwise or sinful relational decisions, dating a non-Christian, going traveling with a boyfriend or girlfriend, sleeping together before marriage, living together before marriage, spending lots of time alone with someone who's not your husband or wife. We watch it happening, we see the train crash about to come, and we say nothing. I know I'm guilty of it. I see things. But it's embarrassing to speak up. It's culturally insensitive. It's uncomfortable and it's not always well received if you do speak up. It's easier to stay silent. But friends, that's not good enough, is it? Not if we understand the gospel. Not if we understand that we and they are unworthy of God's kingdom. Not if we're thankful for the salvation of Jesus. Not if we believe that people who drift away from Jesus drift to hell. No, we've got to speak up. Then on the other hand, when it comes to rebuking, it's very easy to rebuke like the older brother from Luke 15, isn't it? To kind of drift into proud legalism. I know I've done it. More times than I care to think about, people come to me, they confess some sin or some struggle and I've been impatient or angry or insensitive. There are people who've left our church because I've rebuked in an insensitive way. My own pride and impatience have led me to do a bad job. I needed the kind of faith Jesus is talking about here. I needed to realise, Jeff... You are a hopeless, helpless sinner saved only by the grace of Jesus. Shut up with your arrogance and impatience. Love these people and have empathy for these people who are sinners no worse than you are. We rebuke as fellow sinners. And so any rebuke needs to be bathed in humility and gratitude to God. All right. At this point, I want to pause for a couple of minutes. I want to give you a chance to think about this for yourselves because this is really important. We do not want people drifting away. We don't want to be the cause of people drifting away. We need to be rebukers. So I want you to get, turn to some people around you into some smaller groups and think about rebuking for a couple of minutes. Are you inclined to stay silent? Is there someone you need to be rebuking, someone who's drifting away? Or are you inclined to rebuke in a harsh and proud way, someone you need to say sorry to? How can we develop the kind of humility and gratitude that will enable us to help each other to not fall away by rebuking well. You see what we're going to be talking about? 
Okay, perhaps groups of three, four, five people. If someone's sitting by themselves, make sure you invite them to your group. Let's spend a couple of minutes talking about rebuking. Okay, we're following the logic. We don't want people falling away. We don't want to be the cause of people falling away. So as humble, thankful people, we need to rebuke. What was the other thing, do you remember? We need to forgive. Forgive when people repent is what we're talking about in this particular passage. Um, We need to forgive. I know this is a hot topic at the moment. Uh, Our culture is rightly becoming less tolerant of abuse. But our culture is also more and more becoming a, a victim culture. We're always looking for the way that we're the victim. And everyone seems to have an excuse for why I don't have to forgive in my particular circumstance. If you only understood what's happened to me, you'd realise I don't have to forgive. It's not right. Contrary to our culture, Jesus is perfectly clear about it. If a fellow Christian sins against us and repents, we should forgive. Even if we doubt the sincerity of the repentance, we should forgive. It is clear. It was clear back in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins. Jesus told us to pray. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Well, you remember the parable Jesus tells in Matthew's Gospel, the guy who gets forgiven the $100 million debt, but then won't forgive the couple of thousand dollar debt to his fellow slave. Friends, the very essence of who we are as Christians is we are people who are forgiven through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. We haven't earned our salvation. It's been given to us by Jesus. And as people who are forgiven, we must forgive. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that as a church we should tolerate or excuse, excuse abuse. I'm not saying you just do nothing and roll over and be a doormat and let someone keep on hurting you. And, and I'm not saying that reconciliation is always possible. And I'm not saying that restoration is always possible. But forgiveness is not negotiable. God has forgiven us. We have no place as Christians or as a church to withhold forgiveness from people who repent. So let me give you a couple of minutes to talk about this. Okay? You're struggling to forgive someone? Are you in a situation where someone isn't forgiving you? There's a lot at stake, friends. People could fall away. So how can we develop the kind of humility and gratitude that will help us to help each other to not fall away by forgiving well. A couple of minutes to talk. If someone's on their own, try and drag them into your group. Let's chat about it. Mm. All right, we're nearly there. Um, just about finished. A couple of people asked me this morning about what happens if somebody doesn't repent. Uh, I think it's an interesting question. This passage doesn't particularly deal with it. And if somebody doesn't repent, then obviously reconciliation, restoration is made more difficult. But someone in Bible study, when we were talking about this in Bible study, had a really nice saying. It went something like, um, holding on to bitterness, you know, and not forgiving, even if there's no repentance, holding on to bitterness, she said it's, it's like eating rat poison and hoping all the rats will die in your house. Just think about it for a while. Yeah. Um, that, for our own good, we need, we need to be able to let it go, don't we? Even if it's not going to be possible for there to be recon- reconciliation, restoration. Um, yeah, I think it's important. And, you know, Jesus offers forgiveness to those who are nailing him to the cross. He didn't work through with each of them, you know, in a mediation to make sure they'd repented or something. He's able to let it go. Anyway, let's, uh, let's finish. Um, friends, people are going to fall away. It's sad truth in life, but we want to make it as hard as possible for them, don't we? We don't want to be the, one, the, the causes of it. So what do we do? We need, we need to get the gospel. We need to be humble and thankful 
and as humble, thankful, forgiven sinners, we need to rebuke and forgive. Yeah? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you have forgiven us through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the people who called us to repentance. So help us, Father, to grasp the gospel, to be humble and thankful, and then help us to help each other to stay the course by bravely and humbly rebuking and, and sacrificially forgiving each other. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.